Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Now, you'll notice tonight that there, that there is not a handout. That's also by design. If you have your Bibles, it's a good time to open them up. If you have a particular way to take notes, um, then I encourage you to do so. We are preparing for a very important moment in our church, and that moment is vastly approaching. On March the 12th, that's a Sunday, not only are we making a commitment, a financial commitment, but there's another commitment coming, and it's the greater of the two, and that is that all of us would be instrumental in teaching a Bible study, that we would spread the gospel, that we would reach someone with the only saving name of Jesus Christ. And if by chance all of the church individually made a commitment and then followed through with teaching a Bible study, uh, then there will be an explosion of revival. Um, I, I, I'm grateful for those of you who teach and that have a desire to witness. Uh, I will say that teaching the scripture must never be contingent upon personality. Just because you're an outgoing person doesn't make you more qualified. And just because you're, you're an introvert doesn't make you less qualified. Everyone should be teaching someone. The early church did not function like the modern day church. The early church thought that there were no specialists in the room. They thought that they were all commissioned to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. But today we've kind of reverted into some or recoiled into some way and where we only think that a select group of people should teach a Bible study. That's not how we're going to build this church. That's not the culture of new life. Everyone, everyone should be engaged in teaching a Bible study. This is our, this is our great desire. We're very thankful that Brother McLeod is here. And man, if you did not hear his lesson last week, I think it would benefit you to go online and to listen or watch his lesson from last week. It was, it was, a, it was an anointed moment, and it's for all the church. So if you if you were unable to hear that or see that, um, I would encourage you to go back to it and watch it again. So Brother McLeod is teaching tonight, and then next Wednesday I am teaching, and then that following Sunday, then everyone will have. The Bible studies that we have, we are we are submitting here in these next two two Wednesdays. Now, tabletop Bible study is a four lesson Bible study, and we've been promoting that and teaching that for many 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 years. So what we've done is we've we've consolidated a little bit of that into two lessons, and so Brother McLeod is going to take the first two, and then I'm going to take the second two, and. This is going to be a battle of, of, of teachers to see who can do better, uh, me or him. And so there's, if you like to bet on that, all the proceeds go to the building fund. No, this is just, it's a, it's a joke. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, dear sweet mothers of the Lord. So what's happening is that we're, we're taking those four Bible studies and bringing them down just to two so that they're simplified and 
you can take this material and you can teach someone this material. Now, if you've never heard about the name of Jesus in baptism, then this is going to help you. If you've never heard about repentance and what that means, uh, this is going to help you. This is the doctrine of the church. And when I say the doctrine of the church, I'm not talking about this local church. The doctrine of the church. It's the doctrine of the Bible. This, what we're going to teach in the next, this tonight and next week, this is not confined to a denomination. It's far greater than any denomination. Denominations are not going to save you. No one's going to be saved because you belong to a particular denomination. You're going to be saved because you followed the Bible's plan of salvation. And the Bible is not confined or subjected to any train of thought, personality, denomination, creed, culture, language, or dispensation. This is the word of the Lord. So that's what we're doing. And we're, and we're promoting that, and we're going to keep teaching and talking about it because the Lord's going to come back, and we want to be saved, and we're going to be saved according to the Scripture, not according to intention, not according to how good we can, we can live our lives, though we want to live a good life pleasing unto the Lord, but we're going, to, we're going to be saved according to the Scripture, and we need to know it. Now, I'm going to say something. I hope you all remember this. You don't know what you believe until you have to defend it. You're not going to be able to defend it until you know what it is. If your answer is, well, that's what my pastor teaches, or, well, that's what they told me at church, that's not a defense. You have to know the Scripture. And knowing the doctrine of Jesus Christ not only helps you uh, defend it, but it helps you in every area of your life. Amen. And all the people said amen. All right. So let's welcome Brother McLeod. We're thankful for him. He's going to teach. Thank you. Well, I must say, if, if, if this is a competition or a, a contest in the interest of my safety, I respectfully withdraw now. But then on the other hand, in the interest of a new sanctuary and a bill to pay, maybe we should let it go on. But the Lord is good. Somebody say amen. Amen. Our intent tonight and next week is to, is to present this in a manner that each of us would be equipped to take what we're learning and what many of us have lived and maybe heard for many years and to teach it to others. Amen? But I fully understand while our objective is to equip the body, there may be some uh, that are here tonight who you have not fully obeyed the commands of Scripture in which you're here presented tonight. And so at the onset of this lesson, I must reiterate a statement I made last week that the burden of responsibility upon each of us tonight is to both know and to obey the Word of God. And so this is not a classroom lecture in which we've just come to receive some form of academic instruction. Uh, but we are going to teach the Word of the Lord, uh, yes to know, but also with the expectation that everybody here would fully obey what the Scripture has to say. Amen? Amen. Before I jump in, I want to uh, give honor tonight. I'm uh, privileged to have my cousin and his wife with us here in town the next few days, uh, Troy and Jeanette Wickett. They are missionaries to Fiji and the Solomon Islands. And as you can imagine, that's a great burden to bear. 
But why don't you put your hands together and welcome them to new life? They were on deputation in our district and had a little window, and I said, well, you should just, you ought to come to Terre Haute and spend a few days here, and I'm grateful they're here this evening. Amen. Jumping in, we're going to talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ, beginning in Matthew chapter 16, verse number 18. It's a somewhat familiar passage of Scripture for those who have been around church. But this is a conversation between Jesus and one of his followers by the name of Peter. And earlier in the dialogue, Jesus begins to ask him, who do men say that I am? This is what I would call really the first level of revelation or most people's introduction to God. Most people are introduced to the Lord by what somebody else says. And so Jesus' first question is, Who do men say that I am? But then there's another question. Peter, who do you say that I am? It's not enough for you to reiterate what somebody else has told you about the Lord. It's not enough for you to live your life on the assumption or regurgitated information that you have heard in a song, on a YouTube video, read in a book. Who do you say that I am? Do you know me for yourself? Do you know what the Scripture says for yourself? Now, Peter answers the Lord. Uh, He says, Thou art the Son, Thou art the Christ, the Son of God, the Christ. And with this declaration, the Lord looks at him and tells him that flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. He's telling him that this is spiritual knowledge. This is revelation from God. And now we come to verse number 18 of Matthew 16. The Bible says, And I say also unto thee, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock. Now he's not speaking of Peter. This rock is in reference to the revelation that he has just declared. Upon this rock, the revelation, your understanding of who I am, he says, This rock, I am will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This is noteworthy to me that this is Jesus in His earthly ministry speaking in the first person, telling us in the future tense, I will build my church. Because when you come to Acts chapter 20, you find reference to the church of God, which He hath purchased by His own blood. And so we see that these are not two different churches and two different people, but Jesus is God, as the Scripture would say, manifest in the flesh, and this is His church that He is building on the revelation or the knowledge of who He is. And so He tells Peter in verse number 19, I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. I want you to make note, if you're taking notes or if you're underlining, uh, you don't already have this underlined in your Bible, this would be a great place to make a, a notation, is this phrase, keys of the kingdom of heaven. We'll come back to this a little later, but I want you to just notice it's in this exchange with Peter and Jesus that Peter is given keys 
to the kingdom of heaven. This is what we must understand tonight is the Bible is the bread of life. It's our bread, our daily bread. It's through the Word of God that we discover the revelation of Jesus Christ, who He is, in order that we can make the same declaration that Peter made, that when I'm asked of the Lord, do you know who I am? Who do you say that I am? That I'm not just regurgitating the words of somebody else, but I'm speaking from my own knowledge, my own experience, and my own obedience. And so some things we're going to learn tonight and next week is this. What is the Bible's definition of the gospel? Not the definition that that Google gives you, because this is the thing about Google. You can find any answer to fit any opinion. Not, Not the definition you're going to find on an Amazon bestseller list. Not what you're going to find on a Facebook post or a a video clip on social media. What does the Bible say the gospel is? And what do I have to do to be saved? What do we have to do to be saved? What does the Bible say about things like salvation and baptism? Who is Jesus according to this scripture? This infallible word of God. And so tonight and next Wednesday and truly every time you hear something from this pulpit, this is the origin of the thought. This is the measuring stick of the thought. All that we say and do is measured according to this. And so, well, uh, the teacher, I may become passionate about what I share. We must understand this, that this is not my idea. These are not my words. In fact, Paul told the church at Thessalonica that they were blessed because they received his words as the word of God. And so anything I say tonight, it's going to come from this book. And I challenge you to take what I say and measure it according to the words of this book. When we speak of the gospel, this is what we must understand. We're all born in sin. I've heard it said before that At the foot of the cross, we're all on level ground. It doesn't matter your family lineage. Maybe you were born into prestige and blessing, or maybe you were born with nothing. It really matters not when it comes to spiritual things and salvation. I've also heard it said that the Lord has no spiritual grandchildren. There's a responsibility upon each of us to be born again, to know God for ourselves. We see in the book of Romans, chapter number 3, in verse 23, Paul writes, For all have sinned, not some, not a few, not many, but all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Psalms, chapter 51, and verse 5, the psalmist says, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. David is saying, from the womb, from from birth, this nature was handed to me. I couldn't escape it. It's just who I was. So this is what we have to understand tonight. Though you may have been born into a Christian family, you may have been raised in an environment of faith, all of us were born in sin. All of us were shapen in iniquity. 
We cannot escape this fact. But as much as that would seem to be somewhat heavy in, in news of despair, the good news is, is that we have the hope of salvation. Especially if you're sitting here tonight. You're about to hear what the Scripture says about being born again, about knowing Jesus for yourself. But first we have to acknowledge this reality. We have all come short of the glory of God. We all need a Savior. We all need Jesus Christ. We never graduate beyond that reality. We need Him tonight. And so, let's talk about salvation. Let's ask the question, what must I do to be saved? I acknowledge my need of a Savior. I acknowledge the fact that I've been born in sin. That this nature was handed to, to me by the disobedience of Adam and Eve in the garden. It has been passed down to the entirety of the human race through all of human history. Nobody is exempt from this reality. Now we must ask the question, what must I do to be saved? And uh, I'm compelled to remind us here tonight that this is where we must find our answer. I know sometimes we especially in the 21st century, we are given to try to, to expedite the search. And it seems a quicker thing to type that question in Google than to flip the pages of your Bible. But we're not asking Google this question. We're looking to the Word of God. And we're asking, what must I do to be saved? Here's step number one. You must believe or have faith. I want you to say, I have to have faith. I have to believe. We find this principle several places in the Scripture. A few notable mentions, Hebrews 11 and verse 6. It says, for without faith it is impossible to please Him. It's talking about God. I, I can't even come to God without faith. It says, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is. I, I come with the belief, with the conviction, with the faith that he is God. And that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So I, I don't know about you, but I came to church tonight with faith. With the conviction that I'm coming to worship the only living God. And that when I lift Him up, when I study His Word, when I seek to know Him, He will reward me. Now I know, I know we think of reward in a very materialistic way in our culture. But the greatest reward for following God is God Himself. That was the blessing to Abraham. That, that was the blessing to the, to the Levites. He said, I will be your portion. So the reward of coming to God with faith is in response to our faith, God reveals Himself to us. A scripture that uh, many of us are probably familiar with, I'm sure you could find it in 50 different forms at Hobby Lobby, but John chapter 3 verse 16, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And so we see the emphasis on belief. But I, 
it's noteworthy here, and it's another good point to make a little notation in your Bible or a note. Some more modern translations would lose the emphasis here, but if you've got a King James Bible, you would, you'd find that kind of old English there, the word believeth. I know we don't talk like that, but there is a tense in the Greek that is being communicated in that old English that is sometimes lost in more modern translations. Here's what John is saying. He that believes and keeps on believing. So when you, when you see that E-T-H, the if on the end of a word in your, your old King James Bible, it means to do and to keep on doing. And so the, the implication here is Yes, there can be a moment of belief. There's a moment of understanding. There's a moment of confession. But it's not simply a moment. That moment produces a way of living, a lifestyle. If if we could just say it like this, a relationship. I don't want to minimize the power of a moment with God in your life. But God gives you that moment to draw you into relationship with Him. So he that believes, but keeps on believing. When we look at the New Testament, I may mention to this last week, we have what we call the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These tell us uh, the, the birth of Jesus Christ. We read of His life, His ministry. We read of His death, His burial, His resurrection. Then we have all these epistles, Romans onward through the New Testament, where these are letters written to the church. These are letters of maturity and instruction written to believers in the first century, in the the decades that followed. But the only place in the New Testament where we actually find a historical record of people experiencing salvation is in the book of Acts. It is the only history book of the New Testament. Romans and onward are what we would call epistles. They are letters written from a church leader to other church leaders, or a church leader to church bodies in certain cities and countries. But the book of Acts is the only history book of the New Testament church. I remind you of Matthew chapter 16. Jesus spoke of the church in the future tense. In Romans onward, We are reading letters written to the church, meaning what was spoken of in the future tense in Matthew 16, by the time you get to the book of Romans, it has come into existence. Now that begs the question, where did that church come from? How does somebody get to be a part of that church? These are questions which you cannot answer without a thorough study of the book of Acts. So step number one is, yes, you must have faith. You must believe. This speaks to us of our attitude towards God, our our inward disposition towards the Scripture and the things of God. But the second thing you must have is obedience. And I understand that uh, this, uh, this one is a little bit more challenging to us because it speaks to more than what we say, but it addresses what we do. It speaks to our actions or the the outward manifestations of of how we live. James chapter 2 verse number 19 says, Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. It's as if James is saying, well, 
you believe there's one God? That's a good starting point. But just know this. Even the devil believes that. So your belief is a good place to start because it's true. But if you don't move on, if you don't keep on believing, if your belief or your faith does not produce obedience, I hate to be the bearer of bad news tonight, but you're just in company with the devil. Because the devil has belief, but he didn't have any humility that produced obedience. And so while I celebrate your belief, while I do say our faith is necessary, we must understand our obedience to the Scripture is of equal importance. Acts chapter 6 verse 7 makes mention of a great company of priests that became obedient to the faith. They did not just acknowledge the faith. They did not just confess the faith. They were not just aware of the faith. But Luke said they were obedient to the faith. Romans chapter 6, verse 17. Paul speaks of those who obeyed from the heart. Not just the mind. It wasn't a place of, of academic or intellectual understanding. But from the heart, it was life transformation. The form of doctrine which was delivered to you. He didn't say you just confessed it. He did not say you understood it or had knowledge of it. He said you obeyed it from the heart. Hebrews 5 and 9, Pastor mentioned this scripture on Sunday. That he, speaking of Jesus, became the author of eternal salvation unto all of them that obey him. So we must understand this tonight. There is no escape from the necessity of obedience to the word of God. In Mark chapter 1 and verse 15, Jesus said this, Repent ye and believe the gospel. We have a responsibility to believe, but we equally have a responsibility to obey. Galatians chapter 1 verses 6 through 8, the apostle Paul is writing to the church of Galatia. Listen to this. He says, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. This word pervert, it literally means to turn around. Now, to me, this is a powerful principle here, because here's what what I need you to understand. If, If I could take you all the way back to the Garden of Eden. When the Lord came to walk with Adam and Eve, the Bible said they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. God came desiring relationship with them like He had so many times before. But their disobedience brought sin. And when the Lord comes to have relationship with them, what do they do? They hide themselves in the bushes. Now, I want you to see this, because if, if, if the Lord is here, and I'm facing God, if I'm in relationship with Jesus Christ, when He comes to me, I, I'm looking at Him, I, I'm ready to walk with Him, I'm ready to talk to Him. But if God's coming to me, and I'm trying to hide in the bushes, this is what it demands. It demands I turn my back, and I go the other direction. 
So now, now God's pursuing me, but I'm running the other way. My back is towards the Lord. And to repent, in the 16th century when the King James was translated, the word repent was a military term that literally means to turn around. So when you repent, here's what you're doing. You're telling God, I'm tired of running away from you. I'm tired of hiding from you. I'm going to repent, Lord. I believe that you died for me. I believe that you want to save me. I believe that you love me. You're reaching for me. So I repent. I turn back towards you. So when Paul is talking about those who perverted the gospel, he's saying they turned again. They brought a message that was not of the scripture that turned you away from God back to your former way of living. And I want you to hear this. This is not Dan McLeod. This is not some policy or or some manual of New Life Fellowship. This is the scripture tonight. He says, but though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. I'm compelled to tell you tonight, the gospel is the only way to be saved. There is no other means of salvation. This is going to sound a little bit controversial, but I'll explain it. Because I know exclusivity is a cultural hot topic in the 21st century. There is exclusivity in the kingdom of God. I know our culture preaches and be inclusive, be tolerant, but, but I want you to hear me. This is exclusive. Not to anybody, but to any other way. Anybody's welcome to come. But the way is narrow. It doesn't matter if you're rich or you're poor. It, it doesn't matter what your background looks like. I, in fact, the, the, the very good friends of ours we were just with on, on the weekend, his wife uh, for several years now has preached in the Okmogee County Jail. And several years ago, there was a lady who received the Holy Ghost in that Okmogee County Jail. And they wouldn't even let her out of her plexiglass cell. They kept her in a, a plexiglass cell at the back of the room. And she had just laid her hand on the glass, and the Lord filled that woman with the baptism of His Spirit. And when they were walking out, the gentleman said, are you aware of who that is and what she has done? And you'd have to know know Raina, but she said, I don't know and I don't care. She said, she is in here waiting her sentencing. She's being charged for murder because she stabbed her fiancé 37 times. Now, I've got to be honest with you. That's, that's hard for me and my flesh to get, to get my head around. But even the darkest of sin, and I'm not saying you will be free from the consequence of your action in this world. But I want you to hear me tonight. It doesn't matter how dark your past. It doesn't matter how messed up you may feel or be. It doesn't matter how dark of a hole you may feel like you're in right now. And I'm not just talking to the people that we're going to teach. I'm talking to somebody here tonight. It doesn't matter how dark the sin may be. 
There's hope for you, but the only hope I can give you is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The exclusivity is not of anyone. Anyone can come. Whosoever will can come. But there's only one way you can get there. So what is the gospel? You're clear that it is the only means of salvation. Well, what is it? 1 Corinthians 15, Paul tells us plainly. He said, I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached unto you, which you received. Because as we just read in Galatians chapter 1, he said, any other gospel than this one, anything else, let him be accursed. So Paul says, I'm reminding you now of this gospel, that Christ died for us according for our sins according to the Scriptures. That He, Christ, was buried. That He, Christ, was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. So the Gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is what I would call the Gospel declared. But we must also consider the Gospel applied. Because the reality that the gospel, that a historical event has happened that gives us the good news. That's what the gospel means, the good news. The announcement of the good news is not enough. It demands obedience, a faith, a belief in the good news that produces obedience, that applies the historical reality of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection to my life. And so, as Jesus died, I must die to self. This is repentance. Repentance identifies us with Christ in death. There is no burial without a death. We could see how silly this would seem in the natural world to try to conduct a burial ceremony if someone had not yet died. Well, the same is true spiritually. We can't consider the application of Christ's burial if we've not first considered the application of His death. And so just as Jesus died, I must die to self. I must repent. That means I'm looking this way. I'm not following the Word of God. I'm not following after the things of God, but I die to self. I acknowledge the reality of His death, His burial, and His resurrection for my salvation. And I repent. I turn from sin. I turn from self. And I look to Jesus in faith as the author and the finisher of my salvation. As the captain of my salvation, I look to him as my deliverer and my healer. That's repentance. It's saying, I'm not going to live this way anymore. I can't do it by myself. I need you, Jesus. That Greek word for repent, metaneo, it literally means to have a change of mind. But you know this, any change of mind produces a change of action. If you're a parent here, you certainly know this. I've learned in my 11 years of parenting, I, I can try to correct the behavior over and over and over. But if I can somehow teach the principle and bring understanding, if I can get them to understand it here, 
it's a lot easier to influence what happens here. And so repentance, yes, it is a change of life, but it flows out of a change of mind. Because now my mind is being governed, it's being influenced by this right here. And so as Jesus died, we die in repentance. As Jesus was buried, we are buried in baptism. A few scriptures to make note of tonight. We will not take the time to turn to them and read them. But Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. The Apostle Paul is writing here, and he speaks of being buried with Him in baptism. He's talking about Jesus Christ. Notice he does not say buried with them. He says buried with Him. What he's doing is he's pointing them back to the historical fact that Jesus Christ was buried in a tomb. And just as He was buried in a tomb, when we are buried in water, when we are submerged in water, we are being buried with Jesus Christ in baptism. Colossians chapter 2 conveys this same principle again. Now, In this passage, Paul is talking about a circumcision made without hands. This is very, very important. Because if you go all the way back to the beginning of this story in Genesis 17, I believe it is, the Lord establishes a covenant with a man named Abraham. And He tells Abraham, this is an everlasting covenant. You know what everlasting means? It means it never ends. It's going to go to the end of time. But there's good news tonight. When you came to church, you didn't have to bring an animal sacrifice. You know why? Because Jesus died on the cross, was buried, and rose again. So the Scripture teaches us He fulfilled that Old Testament, that Mosaic law. And so many of the things that were done in the flesh or in the physical in the Old Testament are now made spiritual in the New Testament. So Paul is saying just as necessary as the circumcision was in the physical as a means of the covenant to the Jewish people in the Old Testament, Paul is saying now to God's people in the New Testament There is a circumcision that's made without hands. It's not of the flesh, but it's of the Spirit. And this happens when you are buried with Christ in baptism. And so just as necessary as the circumcision was to the covenant, I want you to see this because God made it very clear to Abraham, there's no middle ground. You're in the covenant or you're out of the covenant. And so Paul is telling us just as God had done this in the Old Testament, He has done it in the New Testament, but it's not, it's not with hands, it's not of the flesh, but it is of the Spirit, and it happens when you are buried with Christ in baptism. Galatians chapter 3 conveys this again. Paul, in verse 27, is speaking of, of putting on Christ in baptism. So when we are baptized, how we are baptized matters. What is said matters because we are identifying with Christ as He was buried. We are buried in water to receive the work of what He did. 
This is the gospel declared, now becoming the gospel applied. Acts 22 and 16 speaks of arise, calling on the name of the Lord in baptism, that your sins could be washed away. Mark 16 and 16, he that believeth, remember that's the starting point, It would do no good for me to take somebody tonight and to push you in the water against your will and to say the name of Jesus, nothing would happen. Because it must be an obedient act of your faith to God. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Notice now, Jesus didn't say he that believeth is saved and should be baptized at a later time. He said, he that believeth, he that believes and keeps on believing, he whose belief is working out obedience in their life is going to be baptized, and that baptism is for salvation. I got to hurry here. John 3, this is a powerful, powerful portion of Scripture. Jesus in conversation with a man named Nicodemus. He's a very influential man among the Jews, and he comes to Jesus by night because he understands the the repercussion of of the hunger and and the curiosity, the interest, and the faith in his life. And he tells Jesus, I know that you are a teacher come from God, for no man can do the miracles that you do except God be with him. He's got questions because there's a belief, there's a faith in his life. Something's working in his heart. And Jesus said, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I want you to notice this. There is a singular, a singular phrase here. Jesus said that except you're born again, you can't even see. You can't know. You can't find your way there. You can't understand it unless you're born again. Now, you've got to understand this Jewish frame of mind. Their, their approach to God for thousands of years has been through this physical tabernacle and this physical temple. Everything is physical to them. And Nicodemus asks this, this seemingly very silly question. It says, well, how can a man be born again? Do you mean to tell me that he could enter into his mother's womb a, a second time and be born again? He's trying to make sense of a spiritual birth by this natural thing. And Jesus says, well, let me, let me help you with this. And so he says, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit. I want you to notice this. The first time he makes this statement, it's the singular phrase, born again. And it's the concept of being born again that Nicodemus doesn't understand. And so now Jesus is expounding this concept. He says, to be born again is to be born of water and born of the Spirit. But this time, he doesn't just say to see the kingdom. He says, except a man be born of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. I must reiterate to us tonight, there is an exclusivity. There's there's one way in. There's one door. Jesus is saying... Anybody can come. I want everybody to come. But the only way you can enter the kingdom is to be born of water and born of the Spirit. And so John chapter 3, there are two types of baptisms 
found in these verses. There is a water baptism and there is a spirit baptism. Pastor, we'll get on this a little bit next week, but I peeked ahead into the notes and I didn't see this verse. And so I got to take my liberty and insert it right here. But John chapter 3 and verse 8, Jesus is talking about the wind. And he's talking about those, I remind you now, who are being born again. And he makes this statement. He said, that will hear us the sound thereof. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. John 3 and 8. That Greek word sound is phone. It's where we get the English word phonics. Literally being translated language. So what Jesus is telling Nicodemus is when somebody is born of the Spirit, you're going to hear a sound or a language. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now, I understand that what historically was was relegated to those who would identify themselves as Pentecostal or Spirit-filled is not so. There are, are, the, the Spirit is being poured out on all flesh, and there's many people of all uh, persuasions or identities and uh, of faith that have received this baptism of the Spirit. And I celebrate this because this is what we must understand. This is a biblical experience for everybody who has faith in Jesus Christ. This is not something reserved for those who say, well, I go to a spirit-filled church or I go to a Pentecostal church. This is for everyone who would have faith to be born again into the kingdom of God. And so, as Jesus died, we die in repentance. As He was buried, we are buried in baptism. As He was resurrected, when we receive this spirit baptism, we are resurrected. Romans 6 and 4, Paul said, we are buried with him by baptism into death, but he continues. He says that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. Romans 8 and 11, but if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you. So he's saying the same spirit that raised that lifeless body literally dwells in you. He that raised Christ up from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies. That word quicken, it means to make alive. It brings spiritual life by His Spirit that dwelleth in you. To be born of the Spirit means that the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. Let's go back to the keys that we open with tonight in Matthew 16. I told you to make note of it, now let's return there. He's given keys to the kingdom of heaven. What do keys do? Keys unlock doors. So there's, there's several notable things here. It's Peter. Peter that receives the keys. Peter was not the only follower of Jesus, but he was the one who received the keys. And Luke 24 Jesus is talking with those disciples at Bethany. He tells them, you go to the city of Jerusalem and you tarry there until you be and do with the promise of the Father. 
And he gives them some things to make note of. He said there's going to be a a message of repentance and there's going to be a message about remission of sins in my name. There's going to be people from all nations. and All of these things come into agreement in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. And when the Spirit is poured out and people begin to hear these men speaking in languages that they don't know, it's supernatural. It's of God and others can hear it and it spills into the streets. A, a, real, a, a real Holy Ghost outpouring can't be contained. It'll just, there, there's an overflow that starts spilling out into public places. And it provokes this question. What meaneth this? Now the Bible said there were some who mocked. There were some who wondered. There were some who were amazed. Hey, there's going to be some people who discredit this. There's going to be some people who choose not to believe. But I promise you, there will be some who have a question. Please explain this to me. And who stands up? The man with the keys. Peter. He says, I'll explain it to you. But I've got to preach to you about Jesus. Because that's the gospel. And he starts preaching about Jesus. He says, this same Jesus whom you have crucified, who was buried, I want you to know something. He's not still in the tomb. But he's been raised up. He's ascended into the heavens. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He's poured out the promise of the Holy Ghost, which you now see and hear. Hey, Nicodemus, you remember that thing I told you about in John chapter 3? That's what you're hearing. It's the language of the Spirit to those who have been born again. And when they hear the Word of God, because faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God, now they've got this question, what should I do? I feel compelled to respond. Yes, it's knowledge, but it's more than knowledge. There's this faith working obedience in my heart. I feel compelled. I don't know what to do. I just know I need to do something. Somebody, please tell me what to do. And Peter says, hey, I've been holding on to these keys for a little while. Let me open the door for you. I'm going to tell you what you need to do. You're feeling God move on you. Early last year, the Lord spoke to me. And he said, my people don't know how to handle Cornelius's. Hear me, there might even be some Cornelius' here tonight, but I promise you there's many in the city. They love God with all their heart. They're living to the best of their knowledge. They do pray. They are seeking God. And I don't minimize what God is doing in anybody's life, but I'm not not judged by the emotion of my emotional experience with God. I'm judged by the word of the Lord. I'm measured by my obedience to the scripture. And while I celebrate everything God has done and is doing in all of our lives, when Peter answered that question, he said, let me open the door. You've got to repent. And be baptized, every one of you. I want you to see the the broad stroke, the inclusivity of the language of Scripture. In John 3, Jesus said, so is everyone that's born of the Spirit. In Acts 2, he said, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Not so you can join New Life Fellowship. Not so you can please your family and friends. But it's for the remission of sins. 
And ye shall. It's God's promise to you, to us, this church, this city. Ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. The promise is unto you and your children and all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. The gospel was declared, but when that faith produced the desire to obey, they asked the question, what do I do? Peter said, here's what you've got to do. The gospel declared only becomes the gospel applied when you repent of your sin, you're baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is to be born of water and of the Spirit. Amen. I have got to hurry. 1 Peter 3, 21, the Bible says, The like figure whereunto even baptism, baptism doth also now save us. Referencing the days of Noah, when it said some were disobedient, but that ark was, was their means of safety. And it says eight souls were saved by water. And now Peter reaches back to that Old Testament story, and he says that just as Noah was saved by water, we are saved by water in baptism. But you can't be baptized any way you want to be baptized. You've got to be baptized the way the Bible tells us to be baptized. I referenced it already, but Acts 22 and 16, it said, Why tarriest thou? Why are you waiting? Don't delay. Don't wait another day. Arise and be baptized. Wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. A few scriptures here for you to make note of. Acts 2, we've already read. But in verse 41, it would say that that same day, that same day, 3,000 souls were baptized and added to the church. In Acts chapter 8, verses 12 through 16, we find the account of Philip. And the Bible says, when they believed, they were baptized. Because you can't just stop at the confession of your understanding. Real faith produces obedient action. And how were they baptized? The scripture says, in the name of the Lord Jesus. In Acts chapter 10, verses 44 through 48, this is the account of the the Spirit of God being poured out upon the Gentiles for the very first time. And there's this profound statement that's made. When, When the followers of Jesus see these Gentile people have been filled with the Spirit, and they're speaking in other tongues as the Spirit gives them the ability. That language that Jesus talked about in John 3. When they witness this, they say, how can we forbid them to be baptized seeing that God has filled them with the Spirit just like He filled us? And so the Bible would say they're baptized in the name of the Lord. But I want you to catch something there. How can we forbid them to be baptized What they're saying, the the message within the words, was that baptism was so significant to the early church that it was really a means of identification. Are you with us or not? And when they saw that God filled them with His Spirit, they said, we can't prohibit them from being baptized. We've got to let them become one with us. We've got to let them join the church, and we know that happens. They've received the Spirit, and so now we've got to let them be baptized in Jesus' name. Acts chapter 16, 
When Paul and Silas are delivered from that prison in the middle of the night, they begin to minister to that Philippian jailer. They tell him, please, no, don't take your life. No. They begin to share the word of God with him. And he asks the question, what must I do to be saved? Because when you hear the word of God, it produces this desire to obey. And the Bible would say the same hour of the night, they baptized him. As I was reading this this afternoon, the Lord arrested me right here. And I have to tell you, I'm restrained of the Holy Ghost to compel each and every one of us who are in this room tonight. If you are here and you have never been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, the biblical pattern is the same day, even the same hour. This is so important. There is urgency to it. It's not next service or next week or next month. No, it's now. You say, well, maybe I've already been baptized. And I would acknowledge today that there are, there are people and places that do get baptized out of a pure desire. But we must remember, we are measured by the Word of God. And so if we have not been baptized in the Bible way, what do we do? We do exactly what they did in Acts chapter 19. When they came to the city of Ephesus, they found disciples. And they began to ask them the question, well, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said, we've not even heard if there be any Holy Ghost. He says, wait a minute. If you've not even heard of the Holy Ghost, then there's something else I have to talk to you about first. Let me tell you about Jesus. Let me declare the gospel to you. Let me tell you how Jesus died and was buried and rose again. And when he did, the Bible said that Paul said, John verily baptized him with the baptism of repentance. But he said that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues. They were born of water and of spirit. I have personally talked to many people who came and said, well, I was baptized. When I was a child, I was just an infant. My parents took me to a church and they had a priest sprinkle water on me. I was baptized as an infant. But that wasn't your confession of faith. That wasn't your obedience. And to be baptized means to be submerged, to be buried, not to be sprinkled. And there are some who have come and said, well, I was baptized. But were you baptized according to the Word of God? Were you baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? Or as some would say, were you baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost? And this is where we're going to land the plane tonight. I want to look at Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. Jesus is speaking. And after declaring He has all power in heaven and earth, this is what He says. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, 
teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. Amen. There are some who have taken the words of Jesus, and they have simply repeated them in the act of baptism. And so when they have baptized people, they'll literally say, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost and put them under the water. They are repeating what Jesus said, but they're not doing what Jesus said. Jesus is speaking to these twelve disciples who have followed Him for three and a half years. Peter being one of them. And Peter interprets the words of Jesus by what we see in Acts chapter 2. He baptizes them in the name of Jesus Christ. If you have your Bible open and you don't have this underlined or notebook, here's a, a great point to make note of. Matthew 28, 19. In the name. The singular name. This is why when you look at the baptisms of Acts 2, Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 10, and Acts chapter 19, or you read any of the language surrounding baptism in the epistles, whether it's Romans 6, Colossians 2, Galatians 3, it's always speaking of Him in the singular, Christ in the singular, Jesus in the singular. Because we're not buried with them. It's not three different persons or three different identities. We're buried with Him being Christ. These are simply titles that speak to us of God's relationship with the world and all that is in it. But the singular name He is speaking of is the name of Jesus Christ. No person anywhere in the Bible was ever baptized in the titles Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. In fact, what we read of in the book of Acts had been going on for decades, and the Gospel of Matthew was not even written for another 60 or 70 years. So by the time the Spirit of the Lord moved upon Matthew to write these words, they had been baptizing in the name of Jesus Christ for several decades. It's not really about baptism as much as it is an, a statement of Jesus' identity. This is why Jesus said, I am come in my Father's name. This is why He said in John chapter 14, and He, my Father, will send another comforter, which is the Holy Spirit, and He's going to send Him in my name. In the same way that I am a father of three boys... And I am a son of David McLeod. And my function in life is a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You may identify me by any of those titles, but that's not my name. My name is Daniel McLeod. And the singular name by which Jesus were, was referring to that has all power that we must be baptized into is the name of Jesus Christ. So while I celebrate the faith of every Cornelius and the desire to love God and pursue God, we all stand on level ground at the foot of the cross. And we are not measured by anything but this book. And this book 
tells me in Acts chapter 19 that there were people who were baptized in another way other than the name of Jesus Christ. And Paul said, that's okay. All we've got to do now that you know is to obey. So let's baptize you again. But this time, when we bury you in the water, we're going to say the name that has all power in heaven and earth. We're going to say the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Would you stand to your feet? Would you just lift your hands and would you thank the Lord right now? If you've been baptized in Jesus' name and you've received the gift of the Holy Ghost, I think you ought to just thank God for a moment. Jesus, I thank you for such great salvation. I thank you that I've heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. I thank you that I've been born again of the water and of the Spirit. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. Woo, hallelujah. Yes, Jesus. For whosoever will, for everyone that believes, for the rich, for the poor, for the broken, for the whole, for the black, the white, for the English, for the Spanish, for whosoever will. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. Now, I'm not just teaching tonight for knowledge. I hope you've learned something. I've tried to be slow and I've tried to be methodical. I hope you've learned something. But I hope beyond what you've heard and what you've learned and what you know, I hope there's something working in your heart right now. I hope there's something kind of turning on the inside of you that's making you ask the questions like they did on the day of Pentecost. What is this? What do I feel at New Life? What is it I hear? Why is this place different? What's special about this place? And What do I have to do now? I, I heard the teaching. I've heard pastor preach it. What do I have to do now? Here's what you have to do. You have to obey. You have to. I'm compelling you. The same hour, the same day. Last Wednesday, there were four that were baptized. There's no reason there can't be some more tonight. If you get home tonight and you get talking to somebody who can't be here and they need to be baptized tomorrow, I assure you, if you call the church office, somebody will be here to baptize you. I'm compelling you. You've got to obey. Because you're not, you're not going to be measured by me. You, you're not gonna be me- We're going to love you regardless. There's a place here, no matter where you are in your walk with God, this church is going to love you every step of the way, but I'm telling you, you are compelled by the Word of God to obey the knowledge God just gave you, to obey the faith that's turning in your heart. And so if you're here, and you have never been baptized in Jesus' name, if you're watching online right now, you call this church, we'll baptize you tomorrow. Comment on the Facebook, we'll make it happen. Amen? The same hour. If you're here and you've never received the Holy Ghost and you want to receive the Holy Ghost, you can receive it tonight. I close with this. We were teaching a Bible study years ago, a very informal one. It was a lady who worked at a Christian bookstore and we had made friends with her and we just began to tell her she knew we went to the Pentecostal church. 
she went to a, another denomination that they didn't believe in the Pentecostal church. They didn't believe this speaking in tongues thing was real. They, that's, she'd been taught that her whole life until she, she met some people who started talking to her about their experience. And my experience is compatible with the Scripture. She didn't quite have the courage to come to the Pentecostal service. But in those little times of sharing and testimony, faith started working in her life. And standing in front of her microwave one night, waiting for her food to get warmed up, God filled her with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. There's been a lot of talk about revival, so just so we're all on the same page. I, I, I know I'm in line with Pastor here. This is what revival looks like. This, this is what growth and harvest looks like. It looks like people becoming obedient to the Scripture, being baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of sins, and being filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, speaking in other tongues as the Spirit gives them the ability. Who's it for? It's for all of us. It's for all this city. It's for all the county. It's for all the state. It's for whosoever will. And so if you're here tonight and you've never been baptized and you, you want to be baptized, you want to receive the Holy Ghost, you just make your way to the front and we're done and we'll make it happen. God will pour out His Spirit. But I think before we close, we ought to just lift our hands one more time. And we ought to pray. Say, Lord, let your word not return void. Lord, let it not return void. What you've sent it forth to accomplish, let it be accomplished. Let your purpose be fulfilled. Let the waters be troubled. Let the Spirit of God be poured out. Lord, let that urgency get a hold of our hearts. Lord, let us feel the urgency of the hour. That same hour, that same day, Today is the day of salvation. Now is the time. Hallelujah. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. Yes, let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. In Jesus' name. Thank you for being at midweek. We're knowing, but we're also obeying. And once we've obeyed, let us go and share. Amen? The Lord bless you. May you be dismissed in Jesus' name.